they executed? Well, no, you run. <laughs> and they had places that were set aside where you could go and hide. They were called cities of refuge. And the, the roads to those cities of refuge had to be a certain width so that it was easy to get through them in case the family member, the guy you accidentally killed, was coming after you. And there were laws relating to that. There were laws related to, like, um, well, we'll get into it. Um, so the principle behind the law is what we're going to be looking at. This is difficult because there's historical distance. Um, the Old Testament was written roughly 4,000 years ago, like this portion, 4,000-ish years ago. Um, that's a long time, right? A lot has changed between then and now. We don't speak the same language. We have technology. We have all sorts of things that have changed, and that creates a historical distance, along with a cultural distance, because we're not Middle Easterners, mostly. Anybody? Nope. <laughs> we're not even Midwesterners. Um, we're just not a part of the way they were, and they had a very different culture, and so we have to understand both the history and the culture to properly understand it. Um, a lot of the laws look hard, and they bother us. They make us uncomfortable. For example, there is an Old Testament ordinance regarding what you do if a woman is, is, is raped. Um, and there were laws about what you were supposed to do. Like, it, it wasn't a death penalty offense, right? But if it happened, um, the father had the right to demand that the man marry his daughter. And we look at that, and it's like, that's horrible. It is pretty horrible, right? He didn't have to do it, but he could demand it. The reason he could demand it is that once a woman had been assaulted, it was very difficult for her to get married. And so it was very common for, such, for a woman who's been mistreated by a man to wind up homeless, to wind up a beggar, to wind up a prostitute, to wind up a servant, to wind up in all these different situations. And so, like, the law basically was, if you assault a woman, you're going to take care of her for the rest of your life. And that's all there is to it. Um, there were other, like, like, he also would have to pay money to the family, a huge amount of money that would be crippling economically. Um, so it was a punishment associated with it. Um, we look at that and we're like, that is really hard, that is really difficult, but the principle behind it is, is pretty solid, right? Um, not nice, not easy, but our culture, like our laws aren't all that great either, right? Like we do the best we can with broken situations and sin. Um, what we're going to look at today is, is slavery, because it's something I read quite often where folks are like, the Bible allows slavery. And during the Civil War, there were folks, you know, preachers who would stand up and say, well, the Bible says we can do it, so it's all right. Um, and, and we're going to look at what the Bible taught on the subject and what the principles are behind it and how we handle it. I'm going to start off by saying slavery is not okay. Everybody with me? Paul makes it clear that slavery is not like, like a good thing. He doesn't ever say, hey, you know, own slaves as best you can. In fact, in the book of Philemon, Paul writes to Philemon and he says, you know what, this slave, like he sends a runaway slave back to its owner, and he tells him, treat him like he's me. Because everyone that you encounter is a brother, and, you know, these brothers and sisters in Christ. You treat them like they're your brothers and sisters. If you would own your brother and sister, just remember, you're going to stand before God one day and answer for it. You know, and so, like, if we read Paul and say, well, what's he saying? Paul's not really in favor of slavery. During a time when it was really not normal for you to take an anti-slavery view, unless you were a slave. Um, so we're start out in Deuteronomy 24-7. We're going to jump around in this section. I don't want to do the whole thing. Um, this is a part of a law code. He's, this particular ordinance. If a man is caught kidnapping any of his countrymen of the sons of Israel, and he deals with them violently or sells them, then that thief shall die, so you shall purge the evil from amongst you. 
Why is this important? Um, when we think of slavery, what's the first thing we think of? Yeah, American Civil War, right? Where did slaves come from? Well, they were either born to slaves, right? Or they were, you know, kidnapped by one person or another um, and sold, you know, to slave traders who dragged them to the United States where they were sold again, right? Um, this practice is illegal in the Bible. Um, if we look at what, what the Jews were allowed to do, um, slavery existed for a specific purpose. It was not supposed to be this crushing thing for slaves. Um, and in fact, actually, if you kidnapped somebody and sold them off as a slave, you could be executed. Well, you would be executed for it. Because treating other people as property was just not cool. The, like, one of the things we draw out of this law is that, that you could not just treat somebody like a means to an end for yourself. Everybody with me? Um, well, what else does it teach us? Uh, this is 14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land in your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and, he's, uh, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he will not cry out against you to the Lord and it become sin to you. So what the law tells us is, listen, if you've got folks that work for you and they're poor, you need to take care of them and treat them right. And you've got to pay them every day. You can't just be like, well, I'm going to pay you when I get to it because that guy's probably got to eat, right? You have to take care of the people who are associated with you in employment. This law would you know, extend to slaves, except you didn't pay them in the same way. Um, why does that matter? Well, because what the law is demonstrating for us is that we treat other people with respect and particularly with respect to their needs, right? Um, I'm not doing the whole passage, but there's a whole lot of stuff in here about, like, if somebody gives you collateral, anybody ever loan someone money? It was a really common practice then. Like, if I loaned, um, I don't know, Michael $35, I would take his coat. And he would not have his coat back until he gave me my $35 back. Um, except that the scriptures teach that, like the law said, you know what, at night you need to give him his coat back so he's not sleeping without anything to sleep in, right? Because your coat was also your blanket. Can't take somebody's blanket, they get it back at night, and then you can take it back the next day until they pay you back, and you keep trading it back and forth. Why? Because being poor was not meant to be like an opportunity to, to kind of screw the other guy over. Everybody with me? The principle behind this is we're supposed to love other people even if they're poor, even if we can't get anything out of them. We're supposed to treat them with dignity. Um, it goes on. Uh, you shall not pervert, pervert justice due to an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. Um, what's the law saying here? The law is saying widows were particularly vulnerable financially, right? Because women couldn't own property, they couldn't own businesses, their work options were somewhat limited, and if a widow, like widows were often destitute, they were often very short on cash, um, and so to borrow money was common. Well, if a widow needed to borrow money from you, you didn't take stuff from her as collateral. You allowed her to keep her stuff and her dignity, and you just loaned money. Why? Because Jews were expected to take care of each other. There was a responsibility to care for your neighbor. Everybody with me? This is going somewhere. Don't worry. I'm not just... We're going to jump to 15. 
Um, a real quick thing. We're not going to be able to talk about everything with slavery. Slavery existed in this culture because... How many of y'all have farms? How many of y'all have ever lost a crop and ended up with nothing to pull out of the ground at the end of a season? Now, what saves your bacon then? Insurance. Guess how old insurance isn't? It did not exist then, right? These guys didn't have insurance. If they had a bad rainy season and they ended up with nothing at the end of the year, they were in trouble. What you could do if you ended up in this spot, you could go and you could sell yourself as a slave. It was not for life. Slavery for the Jewish people was not a lifelong occupation. You could choose to be a slave for life, but it was only your choice that made it happen. Um, If you became a slave, you would be a slave for a certain number of years. Um, At that time, you'd be let out of it. It existed to keep poor people from, like, losing everything. So if I had a farm and I lost my crops one year, I had a bad, you know, a bad season, I didn't end up losing my farm forever. I didn't end up starving. I didn't end up with my kids starving. You could actually sell your kids off as slaves or your wife if you felt like it. Um, But it was not forever. It was a way of meeting the needs of the family in a way that prevented you from being bankrupt. It was not what's called chattel slavery. Um, It's what's called indentured servitude. Everybody with me? What's unique about the Jewish people, by the way, in the scriptures, the only ancient culture that made such strict provisions for this. They're the only ancient culture where you could not keep a slave forever. Um, Where you could not, I mean, like there were all kinds of ordinances that regulated it. Um, And it was actually not considered all that shameful. People did it quite often. Uh, Jacob did it to uh, get his two wives, right? He became a slave for seven years, and then he agreed to do it for another seven to get the woman he actually wanted as his wife. It wasn't shameful. It was just something folks did. Um, So this is one to three in chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. So at the end of seven years, every seven years, everybody's debts get wiped out, right? So if Michael owes me that $35 and it's, you know, seven years have passed, I got to let it go, Right? Um, what's the natural inclination? How many of y'all would be ticked off if somebody put off paying you back money until the seventh year so they could get away with it? Or somebody came in the sixth year and was like, hey, can I borrow, you know, $100? I, I promise I'll pay you back by next year. Um, the inclination would be to get mad. But this is actually taught against. This is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it from his neighbor and his brother, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner you may not or you may extract it, but you but your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. So like every seven years you had to let go of it because of remission. Remission, by the way, is when you say, um, it's gone, right? Debts are wiped out. Um, It's interesting that it's very similar to the phrases used to describe how we're forgiven of sin by the death of Christ. Um, This is an early precursor to our debt, our sin debt, being washed away like in Jesus. Um, We're going to keep going here, uh, four to six. However, there will be no poor amongst you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all the commandments which I am commanding you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised you, and he will... And you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. And you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. Um, What he's saying here is, all you have to do is the right thing, and none of you will be poor. 
um, when they came into Israel, they actually divided up the entire country into chunks, and everybody got an allotment of land. And so everybody had a farm. Um, and if they were obedient, if they did what they were supposed to do, nobody would end up poor. The text goes on. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and you shall generously lend him sufficient for whatever for his need in whatever he lacks. Meaning you look around and you see your neighbor and your neighbor's in trouble, what are you supposed to do? Take care of him, right? How many of y'all find that easy? <laughs> Notice I'm not raising my hand either. It is not easy, right? It, it's, it's not easy to look at other folks and say, well, you can just have whatever. We can, we'll do whatever for you. It's, it's a really hard thing. But the encouragement is love the folks around you, isn't it? Look at your brother's need and take care of it. Um, do you think they did this well? Nope. <laughs> in fact, they did it really badly. And like they're over and over again chided for it in the prophets. Um, we're going to keep going. Uh, beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near and the eye is, and your eye is hostile to your poor brother and you give him nothing then he may cry out against you or cry to the Lord against you and it will be sin to you and you shall generously give to him and your heart will not be grieved then when you give to him because for this thing the Lord God will bless you and in your work and in all your undertakings so what's it say it says listen if it's year six and Michael comes to borrow money loan it to him don't look at him and say you big jerk you're just borrowing it from me because I want to get you to pay it back you're supposed to take care of each other Right? Does this mean you end up destitute because you're taking care of your neighbor? I don't think so. Right? But from your abundance, you take care of the folks around you. And you do it because they're your family. Right? The Jewish people were spiritual family and actually probably literal blood family. Um, 11 to 12. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Why will the poor never cease to be in the land? Because people sin. <laughs> because people are going to do the wrong thing over and over again and stuff's going to fall apart because the world is broken. Everybody with me? Anybody who tells you we can make everybody in the world not poor is lying. The poor exist because the world's broken. People starve because the world is broken. Um, Therefore I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, or to your needy and poor in your land. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve six years, but in the seventh year you shall set him free. Do you keep slaves forever? No, you treat them with dignity. You use the institution for its purpose, which was to keep poor people from being mistreated. In the long run, we don't see this happen. Like indentured servitude disappears and it becomes slavery. Where it's like, well, why would I let you go? I'm going to keep you forever. Or you could buy your way out early if you wanted. Um, when you set him free, you will not send him away empty-handed. This is important. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You will give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day. So if you have somebody who's an indentured servant, when they're done, you send them out the door without the clothes on their back and nothing in their pockets, right? No. You feed them. You give them as much as they need to get by. You take care of them from the abundance, right? You look at all the stuff you've got and you say, well, here you go. I'm taking care of you. Um, 
And the Jews struggled with this. Um, if you read the prophets, it's over and over and over and over and over and over again said, you're not taking care of the poor the way I'm telling you to take care of them. You're not following this law. So the question is, do we follow this now? Can I take Michael as an indentured servant? What do you think, Mike? No. <laughs> Can I, would it be acceptable for me to own slaves of my neighbors? Not really. Well, but Deuteronomy says I can. Nope. Because that's the Old Covenant. That was specifically a set of laws that applied to Israel before Christ. Everybody with me? Does that mean I no longer have to loan things to people? Yeah. No. That stays. In fact, we actually see this. This is Acts. This is, all right, Jesus dies for our sins. Jesus ascends to heaven. Acts chapter 2 is the first time we see this mentioned, but we'll, you know, I decided to use this version because um, it turns up again in chapter 4. Um, and the congregation of those who believed were one in heart and soul. Um, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And the abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not, there was not a needy person amongst them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. But Joseph, a Levite... Um, but Joseph, a Levite of Scipion birth, um, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, was translated to son of encouragement. And a man who old, owned a tract of land sold it and laid it at the apostles' feet. I could have cut that last verse off. Um, what happened? They actually followed that law. And they did it not because it was enforced by anyone in particular, but they looked at each other and they're like, you're saved? You're somebody who's a brother of mine in Christ? Jesus died for you? And you're hungry? Well, let me go sell something and feed you. Let me go ahead and, and, you know, get rid of some of my excess, and I'll just take care of you. Um, the, I, read, uh, I read an argument a few weeks ago where somebody was like, well, this is an argument for communism. Like, it's actually an argument for loving your neighbor and just taking care of them. It's an obedience to this Old Testament law. Did they have to obey it? No. That covenant is gone. But... Because Jesus died for us, because we're one in the body of Christ, we look at our brothers and we love them. The Old Testament says, don't get mad at them, don't be bitter, don't be angry, don't resent them because they need help. Um, instead, you're supposed to love them, and that's what God is telling you to do. In this setting, we're told, love the folks around you and just take care of them. Um, what are we supposed to do with the Old Testament laws? We're supposed to look at it, look at what's underneath it, and apply it accordingly. How does this work with you? Well, you're supposed to love your neighbors, right? You're supposed to take care of them. You're supposed to treat folks with dignity. You're supposed to um, you know, recognize that we're family, even if we all don't live in the same house. We love each other because Jesus loved us. We give of ourselves because Jesus died for us. My challenge for you this week, first off, like the bigger message here is, like the Old Testament law gives us something huge, Right? We can read it and we can learn about who Jesus is. We can learn about what our calling is as people of God. But beyond that, the law gives us like, like this glimpse as to how we were ideally supposed to be. Not as this you know, dictatorship of theology, but as a group of people who act out of the love and kindness and, and awesomeness of our hearts because of Jesus. 
Um, my challenge for you today, my challenge for you going forth from this place is first off to love your neighbors as much as you possibly can. Um, to love them so much that they could never complain about you. To love them so much that like folks look at you and say, I don't know what that is, but I want a piece of it. I don't know what makes you so happy. I don't know what makes you so loving. I don't know what makes you the way you are, but I want a piece of it. Um, when I first started going to church, I was 15 or 14. I went to a picnic on a Sunday, and I met the folks there, and I said, I don't know who you people are, but you're the most loving people I've ever met. I want this. I want to be a part of it. Um, my challenge to you is to go out and live that way, to carry this, this law as a law of love. Love God more than anything and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, we're going to close in prayer and we will um, adjourn for the day. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. Help us to move in a way in our world, in our community, where we touch the lives of those we encounter, where we love those that we meet up with, where we, we uh, just pour your grace onto the folks that we just, just are, are brothers and sisters with. Um, I pray that you would give us, um, give us wisdom to do that. And as we look at the laws, we look at your, your perfect law and your guide for how, um, how folks were to live and how folks were to act, I pray that you would help us to look to that law and help us to recognize and discern. Help us to take out of it information that's, that's you know, beneficial to us growing as people of your, of your family. Amen.